Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, better call Saul. More like better run from Saul. Bob Odenkirk is set to kick your butt in a new movie that's finally available for rent. Nobody. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. We watched a bunch of movies this week. We'll review Nomadland, Thunder Force, and Love and Monsters. But more importantly, we'll review the newest trailer for The Fast and Furious 9. (laughs) (laughs) He was so excited when this came out. I just got a flurry of text messages. I also want to tell you about something that I'm excited to review next week. It's been taunting me for weeks, but I'm finally allowing myself to check out Shadow and Bone. So they took maybe 20 bucks and an old watch? Mr. Madsen, did you even take a swing? No. Could have taken her, Dad. Heard you had some excitement last night. I wish they'd have picked my place, you know? Why didn't you take him out? I was just trying to keep the damage to a minimum. Yeah, how's that working out for you? You okay? Because it don't look okay. There's a long dormant piece of me that so very badly wants out. What are you still doing here, old man? I'm gonna f you up. Sometimes the man you don't notice is the most dangerous of all. That's the tagline for nobody. Odin Kirk, a.k.a. Saul Goodman from Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, plays Hutch Mansell, an underestimated and overlooked dad and husband who lives a quiet, meek life with his family and just kind of takes whatever life gives and never pushes back. As you heard in the clip, thieves broke into his home and he didn't fight back and his family is disappointed. That incident, however, ends up unleashing the beast. Turns out he's got an interesting past. For 12 years, I worked for some very dangerous people. Everybody get to the basement. What is happening? Don't call 911. I used to be what they call an auditor. The last guy anyone wants to see at their door. Because it meant you didn't have long to live. But I left it behind to start a family. I might have uh, overcorrected. When you left, you abandoned a certain debt that needs repayment. And your creditor is aware of your resurrection. So his old colleagues are coming after him, and he is not having it. They came after my family. They stole my kitty cat bracelet. And you don't f***ing do that. Give me the god kitty cat bracelet! The movie co-stars Christopher Lloyd as his dad, the RZA as his brother, and Connie Nielsen as his wife, and it looks great. Who the f*** are you? Me? I'm nobody. Nobody! Nobody! It's nobody! It's nobody! In theaters only, February.
February 26th. That was the original plan anyway, February 26th. They eventually released it in theaters where theaters were open in late March, and now it's available to rent for 25 bucks on premium video on demand. And if the premise has a familiar feel, uh, John Wick, anyone? That's because it basically is John Wick, except with more humor. And the script comes from a guy named Derek Kolstad, who was the narrative architect of the John Wick franchise. Nobody's got 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. This looks like a real blast, and it's always fun seeing guys who normally don't do action movies get to do an action movie, especially if they do it well. It can reinvent somebody's career, like uh, Nicolas Cage when he first did The Rock. He ended up doing a flurry of action movies. Same for Liam Neeson when he popped up in Taken, although he was in that movie Dark Man back in the either late 80s or early 90s, but Taken really changed his changed the path of his career. And Odenkirk looks like he had a really good time making Nobody. So I can't wait to sit down and watch this. JB, you going to watch this? Uh, I'm going to get to it eventually. I'm not in quite as big a hurry to get to it, but it does look like a lot of fun. All right. Now I know you are very excited about what we're about to discuss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, the movie's been delayed a year, so we got a second trailer oh, more than a year after the first trailer for the upcoming F9, a.k.a. The Fast and Furious Part 9. The world has a way of changing. <laughs> and we change, too. I know some people, they would die for me. There are moments that separate us. But we always come back together. We heard y'all needed a little love out here. <laughs> y'all ever thought about the wild missions we've been on? We've taken out planes, trains, tanks. I'm not going to even think about the submarine. And now we got cars flying in the air. Who is he? Jacob is Dom's brother. The trailer is three and a half minutes long, and I mean, it must give away the whole movie. Not that spoilers mean a whole lot to these movies. It looks wild, as you would expect, and I'm sure I said it when Fast and Furious 8 came out, but how can they top themselves? How can it get any crazier? But by the looks of this trailer, they have topped themselves. Vin Diesel appears to basically be Superman now, only missing a cape. And the gist of this new movie is that John Cena is in it as the bad guy, and he's Vin's brother, and... It'll play well into the whole family theme that these movies carry. Been a long time, Tom. Little brother. You always say never turn your back on family, but you turned your back on me. Now your little family is in my world. No sign of The Rock or Jason Statham, so maybe they're just in the Hobbs and Shaw spinoffs now. Although Helen Mirren is back and she plays Statham's mom, so who knows? Maybe there are some surprises left after all. The trailer's out there. If you want to lay eyes on it, I'm not going to watch it again because it does give too much away. So that's it for me until the movie comes out. But wow, did it ever get me excited. I was already at 11. Now I'm at like 15. I've been waiting for this movie for over a year already. F9 comes out June 25th in theaters, question mark, cross your fingers. So how do y'all want to play this? Fast. Crank it all the way up. Get back, we the soldiers. Man, we messing with magnets now? Yeah! It's good to be back. Ah! I don't want to die! 
Magnets is the key word there, Brett. Magnets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this trailer is so insane. And it's funny because you're right. They they give away a lot more details as to what's happening. Oh. It was clear from that first trailer that you'd get your usual assorted chaos and mayhem that we've come to expect from these movies. But they get very specific on that chaos and mayhem. Like, And I love how... They recognize how ridiculous these movies are where he's talking yeah. about all the, you know, all the crazy missions we've been on with <laughs> tanks and submarines and planes. And now we've got cars <laughs> with magnets. Uh, so, yeah. And I, uh, I don't. Is it a spoiler if you say what was in the trailer? I don't know. It looks like they might have a flying car or something at the end of this trailer. So it's just it's and it, that's been the joke since the last movie came out is like, well, what's next? Are they going to go to space? And the end of the trailer, it's like, are they actually going to go to space? Because it sort of looks like that's what they're gearing up for. Who knows? <laughs> that's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that really makes sense. Uh, that Where else can they go? What else can they do? Exactly. I think the one problem that I have with these movies is as they've become increasingly insane, they've had to increasingly rely on CGI. Yeah. And when you're watching a movie about cars, the more practical effects there are, the better. So, And I remember like up to and including the, you know, Furious 7, which has got a lot of really insane stuff in it. That was mostly practical effects. Like they had uh, cars like falling down with parachutes on and they were like dropping them off cranes onto the road and making it look like that's how they were parachuting in and stuff like, like they were really doing stuff with actual cars. And then by the eighth one, they had like that whole sea of swarming sea of cars that was obviously mostly CGI. So yeah, you're right. They, it's getting a little too crazy. I actually thought that about Hobbs and Shaw at times. I was like, this might be like actually a step too far, but I don't know this. They've put a really good trailer together for this ninth movie. So uh, even if it is, too crazy it's certainly going to have its moments i am very excited about it jeff is super excited about it hopefully we actually get to see this on a big screen because as nice yeah. as it is to watch movies on my newish television i miss seeing the movies on the big screen you're listening to the couch potatoes Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And now we're just a week out from the Oscars. And this week, Canadians finally got to see the front runner for Best Picture, a movie called Nomadland. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. And they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just... Houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. No Man Land is out now on Disney Plus Stars, and the film stars Frances McDormand as Fern, a woman who lives in her van and drives around the country picking up work where she can. Some text at the beginning of the movie tells us the town she lived in was shuttered when the mining company that employed everyone in the town closed down. So she lost her house and then decided slash had to turn her van into a camper and live the life of a nomad. She's not the only one who lives this way, as it turns out. In fact, there is a pretty sizable nomadic community and we meet a lot of them. It's also worth pointing out that many of these people have very different reasons for living this way. Some have to for financial reasons. Some have a PTSD and cannot function in, quote, normal society. Some refuse to participate in, quote, 
normal society, and this is their way of sticking it to the man. And some are on a spiritual quest of some sort, while some others, you know, just started driving one day and never looked back. It's pretty wild, all the more so when you consider that outside of Francis McDormand and a few other people, this movie is mostly populated with real-life people. The nomads depicted are really nomads. They are not actors, and they must believe that they're part of a documentary. In fact, McDormand spent some time living in the van as they shot the movie. She also spent some time working some of the jobs her character works, so it's an immersive method acting performance from her. Eventually, she stopped sleeping in the van, though. She told The Hollywood Reporter, quote, it's much better for me to pretend to be exhausted than to actually be exhausted, end quote, which makes sense to me. Her interactions with the nomads are improvised. A lot of them did not recognize her as a two-time Oscar winner. They believed she was actually one of them and not an actress. And you can sense that, I think, when you watch. I felt like she was improvising a lot of her conversations with these people, and I think that's probably a good way to really get to the heart of the matter with some people. But then, you know, David Strathairn pops up. He's an actor we've all seen many times before, and he plays a nomad and is a potential love interest. So clearly, the scenes between Fern and Dave are scripted, maybe not all the dialogue, but clearly there'd be an outline of what their scenes are supposed to accomplish. So it's kind of like Borat in that sense, where you got some stuff that's kind of staged, but it's still improvised and other stuff that's entirely improvised and not really staged at all. Um, the nomads are all credited with their real first names as their character names. And the same goes for Strathairn. He's, he's just Dave in the movie. His character has a son. That son is played in the movie by Strathairn's real life son. And so we see Fern bounce around from place to place at Christmas time. She, you know, she'll work at the Amazon warehouse as a seasonal worker. And at harvest time, she'll work on a farm things like that. Through it all, she considers her life and whether or not she should try to lay down roots again or keep on keeping on in the van. It's very interesting, even though there's no real plot per se. I was kind of gripped by it all, even though I was you know, watching it with the distractions of home and there are a lot of quiet moments in the film. I ended up only reaching for my phone two times, and one of those times was to text my girlfriend and tell her to watch the movie because I knew she'd like it. Uh, it's a very unique approach to filmmaking, and you quickly realize why the director, Chloe Zhao, is winning all the directing awards. It's part documentary, sort of, part Hollywood movie, sort of, like I said, like Borat, except they're not trying to trick anyone. And it's nice to see that there are still, you know, weird movies being made that aren't like anything you've really seen before. Always good when movie makers are taking a chance with something. And Zhao is shaping up to have a terrific year. This past week, she won the BAFTA Award, which is the British Oscars. She won the Directors Guild Award, for directing the movie and the movie itself and Francis McDormand also won at the BAFTAs. And not only is Zhao the front runner for the Oscar next weekend and the movie as well, later this year, we'll finally see her contribution to the MCU with the Eternals movie. She directed that. So she's looking at something like what Spielberg had in 1993 when he had both Schindler's List and Jurassic Park in the same year. So Chloe Zhao's on the map now. Can't wait to see what she brings us in the years ahead. Four and a half couch cushions out of five for Nomadland. Like I said, it's available right now on Disney+. Plus. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. So is that it? Is that it? Is that wrapped the eight Best Picture nominees for you? No, sir. I still have two more to go. Oh, man. <laughs> and I'll review them next week on Oscar weekend. Uh, it's uh, Judas and the Black Messiah and The Father. That's the Anthony Hopkins one. Oh, and he yeah. just won the BAFTA for acting in that, but over uh, Chadwick Boseman. Although I guess they are both British, so. Mm. Okay. I still think Boseman's going to win the Best Actor Oscar, but. 
Yeah, but uh, apparently Anthony Hopkins really good in that movie, The Father. So I am looking forward to both of those. Anthony Hopkins is always so good. Doesn't matter what he's in, even if he's in those lame Transformers movies where he popped up a couple of times. He still brings it. Yep. He, he brings the commitment to every role he does. Um, that's sort of questionable. I've heard stories about that guy where he'll tell you that something with like something with the Transformers, he writes at the top of the script, N A R. No acting required. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I've, I've heard another interview with him years ago where someone's like, my God, Anthony Hopkins, you're such a good actor. How do you do it? He's like, I don't know. You, you just do it. It's not hard at all. They turn on the camera and you say the lines. So <laughs> I don't know if he's just innate at it, I guess, or if he just doesn't like answering questions about it. Could be that he's either that good or maybe he... The key in those instances is that he just doesn't care, but because he's Anthony Hopkins, it's not, he could be reading you the phone book and you would still yeah. be compelled by it, right? So, that's true. Okay, that's interesting. I am now very curious about Nomadland, especially since it's one click away on Disney+. And in a moment, we're going to jump from Disney+, Plus to Netflix, because we each watched a new movie on Netflix this week, and i got to tell you to stay far, far away from the one that I watched. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We each watched a new movie on Netflix this week. We'll start with the one I watched because it's brand new. It came out this past Wednesday, and it's called Love and Monsters. Oh, my God. Where have you been, Joel? Amy, I love you. I'm going to come find you. The day of the monster uprising was the day I lost everyone. Only a small fraction of humanity survived to move underground. I've been scanning for Amy the entire time. And now, I finally found her. Joel! Hey! Joel! Amy, is that you? Oh my god! Hey! How far away is Amy's colony? 85 miles. It's an impossible journey. Everything will try to kill you. Don't fight, just run and hide. Ah, huh? okay. Love and Monsters stars Dylan O'Brien, an actor I'm not familiar with, but he played Styles in the TV series version of Teen Wolf, and he was in those Maze Runner movies. Here he plays Joel, a 24-year-old survivor of the apocalypse on a journey to find his girlfriend. There's a five-minute montage setup piece right at the very beginning of the movie explaining the world in which the story is set. Uh, the short version is seven years ago, there was a comet headed to Earth Armageddon style. The humans screwed something up in their attempt to destroy it, now the planet is overrun with monsters and all the humans have to live in underground colonies lest they be eaten by the monsters. There are a bunch of different kinds of monsters, but mostly they're based on insects and amphibians like cockroaches and frogs. So the humans have been living in the colonies for seven years. Joel was 17 when it all went down. His girlfriend Amy lives in a different colony 85 miles away. Joel's all alone in his colony. He has some friends, but no one he's really close with. And after finally establishing radio contact with Amy's colony, he decides he'll set out alone on the surface to try to make it to her colony. It should also be noted that he is an extreme scaredy cat and a terrible shot. His job at the colony is as the cooks. They don't let him go out and hunt with the others because he'll just die if a monster shows up. So everyone says he's crazy to go out there alone, but he does, and the movie is mostly about his journey. He meets some others, he gets in adventures, and of course he has to fight a lot of monsters. It's pretty basic and a literal, you know, hero's journey kind of setup. It's pretty fun as it turns out it's not Greenland. This is much less realistic, even though the stakes are pretty similar. And the tone, while serious at times and very tense at other times when 
monsters are near is also very comedic a lot of the time. The monsters are kind of cartoony enough for the most part that a guy like me can easily handle it and any associated gore that comes with it because it just doesn't look like anything in our real world. The movie's rated PG-13, and I think they must have figured that since the monsters are going to keep little kids, like little kids, from being able to watch it anyways, that they might as well add a bunch of minor league swearing. And I don't know, that always sticks out like a sore thumb to me. Just just go the full R rating and add all the real swears. If someone is going to say the S word 25 times in a movie but never say the F word, that just sounds like they're deliberately trying not to say it. It's weird, and I notice it, and it takes me out of the movie. The other nitpick I have is the electricity. I don't know, maybe I missed it, but I didn't understand how they were powering everything in these colonies. It's been seven years. Most batteries would be dead or severely depleted to the point they wouldn't last very long. I don't know, maybe there is a good answer, but I didn't catch it or they didn't explain it. The special effects are sufficient. Sometimes they're excellent, but sometimes it's a little too cartoony, I thought. Generally, I believed all the monsters were real. Some actually look pretty scary as well. And mostly it's just a fun adventure. You sort of put yourself in Joel's position and wonder how you'd act and react to the things he faces. And there are some genuine twists along the way and near the end. It's also emotionally satisfying and frankly more moving than I was expecting. I actually, you know, felt something at the end and I thought, wow, wait, why is this movie affecting me like this? So as comedic as the tone can be a lot of the time, it's also adding up to something that really pays off down the line. It was supposed to be a, the a theatrical release last year. I don't know that it would have made a lot of noise in theaters, though. It does sort of feel like a Netflix movie where it's still a little undercooked story-wise, but again, by the end, like I said, I did find myself invested in Joel's fate, so it's mostly a win. Um, if you like weird monsters and post-apocalyptic stories, by all means, give it a shot. It is at 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm going to give it three and a half couch cushions out of five. Again, the movie's called Love and Monsters, and it's out now on Netflix. That is going on my list immediately. I will watch that this weekend. That sounds like a lot of fun. I almost watched it last night, actually, but uh, I watched something else that I'll tell you about in our next segment. But in the meantime, the Netflix movie that I watched just debuted last weekend, features a couple of big-name actors, Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer, and the movie itself has a big-sounding name, Thunder Force! Hi, I'm here to see Emily Stanton. Do you have an appointment? I'm her best friend. We're not currently what I would say best friends or friends. You look good. You look great. What have you been up to? Let me show you. I've been developing a genetic platform that will allow us to give ordinary people superpowers. But do me a favor, please. Don't touch anything. Thunder Force is a superhero comedy about two childhood best friends who reunite as a crime-fighting team when one of them creates a formula that gives normal people superpowers. The supporting cast includes Jason Bateman, Melissa Leo, Bobby Cannavale, and more. When I watched the trailer, I thought, this looks fun. How can we not stop two chicks in their 40s? God, what's that smell? It's the suits! We can't wash them! And then I watched it, and now I see why it has a 25% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I was really hoping I could see past the negative reviews and just enjoy this because I like the cast. I like superhero stuff. I like comedy. It should have been a heroic slam dunk. 
but it's just not great. I would go as far as to say it's just okay, and even that might be a stretch. For a superhero movie, for starters, it's not all that exciting. And for a comedy, it's not all that funny. There were a couple of moments that were surprisingly touching, uh, but like Melissa McCarthy in one scene got like maybe super emotional out of nowhere. But for the most part, this movie is just kind of dull and I can't recommend it. Bobby Cannavale has fun sort of hamming it up as the bad guy. Jason Bateman's character is great, as always. He's one of the shining lights in whatever he does. He's so dry and his character is so weird. So uh, that is is fun. But uh, I, I think I got to give this just two couch cushions out of five. My initial Ooh. reaction was a bit more favorable. But now that I've had time to digest it, I just, I can't, the disappointment I feel in this movie is pretty stark. Particularly because while McCarthy is given lots to do, Spencer, not so much. And she's outstanding. Like She's an Oscar winning actor. Give her more to do. Uh, her role was so boring. So, yeah. And as a result, the movie was kind of boring. So I can't really recommend Thunder Force. I would suggest you stay away from it. Once I finished watching that, though, I thought, you know, I've never seen the movie Spy starring Melissa McCarthy. I figured out that it was on Disney+, Plus, so I decided to watch that, too. We've intercepted chatter that Rayna Boyanov knows where that nuke is. She knows the identity of all our agents. How the f*** did this tw- find out our f- names? We don't know. And dial it way back with the T-word, Ford. Grow up. We need someone to find the bomb without being detected. But it can't be any of you. We need someone invisible. I'll do it. Uh, okay. Thanks, lunch lady. I'm serious. I can do this. It came out in 2015 already. Wow, 2015, Jeff. That's six years ago. Yeah. That's insane. I didn't realize it was that old already. McCarthy plays a CIA agent who doesn't go into the field. She instead backs up Jude Law uh, from her computer. Jude Law plays a debonair James Bondish spy. But difficult circumstances lead her to go into the field where hijinks and action ensue. So if you're going to watch a Melissa McCarthy movie that also happens to co-star Bobby Cannavale as a bad guy, then watch Spy instead. I quite enjoyed this. I mean, McCarthy was great, as always. She can be a bit much. Uh, it's, it, as with any comedy actor, the shtick can get a little tiring at times. But uh, she was tremendous in this, I thought. And and she just showed some great versatility. Like, her character uh, was one way, and then on a dime, she becomes something else. And it was entirely believable because she has just so much conviction in her delivery. Jason Statham, amazing as a fellow CIA operative. He's a bumbling idiot. And as the movie goes along, he just somehow becomes more stupid and hilarious. So, and it, it's not, I think we talked about this recently that why doesn't Statham get to do more comedy stuff? Yeah. Because he's so good at it. And, <laughs> he is. And in a movie starring Melissa McCarthy, where he's like stealing st- scenes with like laughs wise, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. Rose Byrne as another bad guy, ice cold, ice cold. And as it turns out, wonderful. She was perfect. Just perfect. I want to see her do more of this kind of stuff. The only real complaint I had about Spy is that it kind of had a lot of like silly 
juvenile gags and dialogue, but otherwise Spy was much more fun than Thunder Force. So I'm going to give Spy three and a half couch cushions out of five. So again, don't bother with Thunder Force. Watch Spy instead if you have not yet seen that. I was just going to say Spy is part of uh, the the the, the, tr- the trilogy. The Melissa McCarthy trilogy is uh, Bridesmaids. He, uh, is it called The Heat or just Heat? The, the Heat. Heat, yeah. The Heat and Spy. The, you did, those three are by far her best movies. And yeah, uh, the one thing about Spy, every time I watch it, I forget that Jude Law is in it. <laughs> and it reminds me of when I just watched recently uh, Captain Marvel. I also forgot Jude Law was in that movie on, <laughs> when I was rewatching. I was like, what? He's in this? I forgot about that. So <laughs> apparently Jude Law is uh, my actor that I forget is in movies. And he just pops up and I was like, oh, I forgot he was in this. <laughs> pleasant surprise or not so pleasant? Yeah. Ah, Jude Law's always all right. There's nothing wrong with him. Okay. In a second, I want to tell you about a show that I am very excited to review next week. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Next week, I'm going to review this show that is debuting on Netflix on April 23rd, but I want to preview it right now because I did take a look at the first episode of Shadow and Bone. So I've been excited and pumped to watch this for probably two months because Jeff and I have access to some preview content on Netflix and sometimes they load it like two months early, but I don't want to watch it two months and then have to sit on it for two months before I can actually give you a review. So I just wait until the week leading up to it. So Shadow and Bone, based on a trilogy of books And the official description says, Dark forces conspire against orphan map maker Alina Starkov when she unleashes an extraordinary power that could change the fate of her war-torn world. So this is... Uh, she grows up in the Russia-inspired land of Ravka before her life changes. She unexpectedly harnesses this power that she never knew she had. And it's set in this world where they, they refer to the fold... Just imagine a big black cloud that just cuts right across your city and goes on for miles once you go into this cloud. And there are monsters that live in there, and there are people with magic powers, and the, the some of the costumes are kind of old-timey. I, I just... This is a rich world that I am excited to see more of. Eight episodes all in. I took a peek at the first one. I will tell you more, but I will tell you that I... I like it so far. So more details next week. I'll have a full review for you of Shadow and Bone as it debuts next week. Also, speaking of rich fantasy shows, another show popped up this week on Crave, an HBO show called The Nevers. Three years ago, everyone at the Touched woke up with a power 
untouched are rewriting the rules of reality. I want them under control. Even if it requires a bloodletting. I will cut your face to a mess. There's a harmony to our world that's worth preserving. The touched are not a threat, yet you seem determined to prove that they are. The church, the purists, they're a danger to us. We have enemies we don't know about yet. It's been it's been a while since I've been excited about two shows like this simultaneously because they are both uh, apparently very well, like well thought out as I used the word earlier rich fantasy worlds and both super imaginative creative just different stuff that you've never seen so the Nevers debuted on April 11th on Crave the HBO show. It's described as Victorian London is rocked to its foundations by a supernatural event that gives certain people, mostly women, abnormal abilities from the wondrous to the disturbing. But no matter their particular turns, as they call them, all who belong to this new underclass are in grave danger. It falls to mysterious, quick-fisted widow Amalia True and brilliant young inventor Penance Adair to protect and shelter these gifted orphans. But to do so, they will have to face the brutal forces determined to annihilate their kind. So you could sort of whittle this down to say it's basically a superhero show or a show about superpowers, but the fact that it's set in Victorian times and the fact that it's mostly women who are affected, who have been touched, and the mysterious reasons as to why they have their powers, what exactly touched them. I just was completely enamored with this show. So The Nevers airs on Sunday on Crave, and again, Shadow and Bone makes its debut on uh, Netflix next Friday, April 23rd. If you're looking for a couple of shows to help you escape reality for one hour at a time, uh... I highly recommend The Nevers, and I'm hoping to be able to highly recommend Shadow and Bone. As I said, I've only taken a peek at the first episode, but full review next week. Had you even heard of this show, The Nevers, Jeff? Nope. Never, ever. <laughs> I, I, hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't either. My dad, Smash Gordon, says, hey, did you watch The Nevers? And I said, what? <laughs> so I watched the trailer and said, I'm in. I'm watching this right now. So you can watch that on demand on Crave. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. If you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do so. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.